What we're looking at, if you look at the, the screen, our theme for the year is engage. And it comes from Ephesians 4.16, the whole body fitly joined together. And what we're looking at doing is we want to engage Scripture, we want to engage our family, the world, neighbors, friends, and the culture. And we want to engage the world with the Word of God. And the idea of engaging is having interaction. And so the concept is very simple, that our faith is not something that only takes place on Sunday morning. Right? It, our, our faith, we take our faith with us into the workplace. We take our faith with us onto the ball field. We take our faith with us onto the golf course. Amen? And when you play like me, you need a lot of faith, I promise you. And so the, the idea is very simple. And that is that we as believers, God wants us to take our faith out into the world. And what's that going to do? It's going to draw people to Christ. Because... Honestly, the issue isn't about us. It's about Jesus Christ. Why do we come together? We come together because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is, and how about this? Are these guys making me look good this morning? I was thinking while they were singing that maybe at the end of the service we can have them sing the songs for us. What do you guys think? You guys want to sing a special for us? There's like two of them that say, sure. The rest, no. The, the thing that's so important about our faith is that it's not a religious thing that we just put on. It's not I behave one way today because all the Christians are around me, and then I go out into the world and I behave like the world so that I can fit in with them. Now, I would imagine there's some people in this room that do that. Why? Because we have people in this room, and people do things like that. Is that right? But for those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ and we love His Word, our desire is to be full-time Christians. To not to have a faith that we take on when we go to the workplace or out into the ball field. or I'm sorry, a faith that we take off when we go into the workplace or the ball field. This morning our topic is engage the one true God. Last week we looked at engage the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to look at who is the one true God. So look with me at Mark chapter 12. And let's see if we can get an understanding from the scriptures on this. Mark chapter 12, look at verse 28. Mark 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came. Now, who were the scribes? The scribes were a group of religious Jews, and these were the ones who would either copy the Scriptures or they would write down the law. So they, these are the guys that were adding rules to you. All right? So if you had, it, it, And what ended up, they had 613 rules that these guys added. Can you imagine if I started adding rules to your life? And they're just arbitrary. You know, in order to be a Christian, you have to wear a certain kind of clothing, and you're only allowed to wear that. In order to be a Christian, you've got to give a certain amount of money, and that's the only way that you're going to be a Christian. Those arbitrary rules that people add to it. If you get divorced, there's no way that you can go to heaven. If you get drunk, you can't go to heaven. What if I started adding all kinds of rules? That's what the scribes did. That's what they're doing. So these are the ones who came to Jesus Christ. And what do you think they were interested in? They wanted to know which is the most important rule. And so look at what Jesus says to them. Verse 28. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, 
The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love His neighbor as Himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Okay, so now remember what the Jews were doing. They were bringing sacrifices every week to the temple. That when they would come to the temple, there was a sacrifice that was made. And this scribe is understanding that loving the one true God is greater than any sacrifice. So the, the scribe understands that. And look at what Jesus Christ says to him in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will reveal your word to us today as we speak and as we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice something about this. First of all, the, what Jesus, how many of you think Jesus Christ knows something about God? Right, so if we're going to get some information about what's the, what's the most important thing we need to know, I think that Jesus would be a good place to get that answer. And Jesus said the most important thing that you can do is acknowledge that the Lord our God, He is one Lord. Now, what Jesus was doing was he was quoting Deuteronomy 6.4. It's called the Hebrew Shema. It's the most important passage in the Hebrew religion. And it's the basis for our faith. The basis for our faith is that there is only one God. Now, how many of you recognize that, that people in the world worship more than one God? If you were a Hindu, you'd have some, I don't know, 200 million gods. They, the people starve to death because they don't have meat, because they don't want to kill the cow, because it might be someone who is reincarnated. Right? That's the Hindu religion. That they have a different God or many gods than we do. The other thing that is interesting is when you look at people's faith and people say, I believe in God. How many of you ever heard an athlete and they, they score a touchdown and they're interviewed afterwards and they say, I just want to thank God. Then you find out that night they're going to some kind of club with all kinds of behavior that God would not endorse. Y'all know what I'm talking about with that? Sometimes I wish, please don't mention God. You know, if you're going to go do that, please don't mention God because that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is holy. The God of the Bible is righteous. The, the God of the Bible has made certain demands on us as people. And what is his authority for doing that? We're going to look at that this morning and what he has demanded. But I want to say this before we go any farther. I want you to notice what the scribe knew. The scribe agreed with what Jesus was saying. He even endorsed what Jesus was saying. Look what the scribe says in verse 32. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. And then he repeats what Jesus has said. And then look at what Christ says to him in the middle of verse 34. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. So here the scribe had information that he agreed with. He had information that he agreed with. 
And yet Jesus said, you're not in the kingdom of God yet. What's the kingdom of God? Jesus Christ answered that in the book of Luke. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is in you. How does that work? Well, when a person is born again, when they place their faith and trust in Christ alone for their eternal life, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in the individual. What? Know you not that you're the temple of God? When a person gets saved, Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in that person. And so that's where the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is in you. Again, who should we receive information about God from? Jesus would be a good source. Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you. So let's look at who this God is that wants to establish His kingdom in us. Who is the one true God? Well, first of all, He's the Creator. He's the Creator. The, the first verse in the Bible is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And notice that the Bible doesn't try to explain or defend who God is all the way from the beginning. What he does is it says, in the beginning, God. There is an assumption. The assumption of the Bible is that God exists. How many of you have heard this statement? There are no atheists in foxholes. Right? When things get really hard, people pray. When things get really hard, people pray. Why? Because in the heart of man, the Bible says that God has written His law on the hearts of men. God has given us a conscience that recognizes that He exists. Jesus Christ, God, is the Creator. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 15-17 says, who is, Speaking of Jesus, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. All right, so who is Jesus Christ? The Bible says that everything that exists was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, well, I don't believe in creation, I believe in evolution. Well, it's fine that you believe that, but you need to recognize that you are taking that by faith. You're believing in evolution by faith. We believe in Jesus Christ by faith. We believe that He is the Creator by faith. Is that right? If you believe in evolution, you must take that by faith. Why? Because none of us were there. And you can't do a scientific experiment to prove where the world came from. You can't do it. You say, well, there was a big bang. Great. What exploded? And where did that come from? Why did it explode? And how in the world does everything exist from that? The thing I like to know is if you have an elephant, if the elephant evolved, well, what if his trunk evolved slower than the rest of them? He'd starve to death. What about your eye? If your eye evolved later than your feet, you're going to walk off a cliff. That process of evolution, if if you really look at the details of it, it simply doesn't make sense. I like to say what they teach is, in the beginning there was nothing and then it exploded. That's, That's evolution. That's evolution. Well, now we understand that Darwinian evolutionists are really going by the wayside. We understand that Darwin's theories have really been disproven. So now they don't teach that. Now they talk about seeding. All of you Transformers fans will understand this. 
They talk about seeding. And the idea of seeding is that aliens brought life to this earth. Brilliant. That's a great explanation. Where'd the aliens come from? It's so interesting. And you say, people don't. How many of you heard of Stephen Hawking? Anyone heard of Stephen Hawking? That's what he believes. One of the most brilliant men to ever live. And what happened was he came to the place where he realized that, that evolution could not have happened. That, regardless of whether you believe in an evolutionary process, and every person believes in an evolutionary process of some sort. We all believe that animals adapt. Everyone believes that. Is that right? If I was out in the sun for a long time, I would either get brown or very, very red. And over a certain amount of time, my skin would get used to that condition. What is that? That's an adaptation. It doesn't matter how long I spend outside, I'm not going to become a zebra. That's evolution. That's macroevolution, microevolution. We all believe in microevolution. Small changes within species or within kinds. Macroevolution is, I like this pulpit. It's not going to become a jet engine. All right? And it doesn't matter how much time you give. It doesn't matter how much uh, environmental, how, how the environmental conditions change. It doesn't matter how much electricity is in the universe. It doesn't matter if a meteor comes from outer space and hits this pulpit. It's not becoming a jet engine. Is that right? And so someone might say, well, you're oversimplifying. No, no, you're overcomplicating a completely absurd position. Is that right? Well, so you're saying, <laughs> you really believe that God made everything? <laughs> you believe aliens brought us here. What's the difference, man? It's all faith. Is that right? And which is more supported? Which idea is more easily demonstrated as true. God created the heaven and the earth. And by Him, not only did He create everything, by Him all things consist. That's, that's the end of that passage in the book of Colossians. All things were created by Him and for Him, and by Him all things consist. How does this world stay together? The Bible says Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of His power. That's how they stay together. That's how they stay. And what a wonderful thing it is. How, do you know how this world exists? Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I, you know, the Bible talks about we don't worship a God that's made with men's hands. Uh, we don't have a God that's dumb, that can't speak. You know, but like, like this pulpit. Can you imagine worshiping this pulpit? Oh, great pulpit. It's dumb, isn't it? Now, look, I'm not mocking uh, the religion of, of natives or indigenous peoples who, you know, they have no education. But you understand that there's never been a group of people found that didn't have some kind of sacrificial system. There's never been a group of people anywhere on the earth found that weren't trying to find a way to appease God. It's not there. The only problem is if I construct a pulpit of wood and I worship this pulpit, what am I worshiping? Something that I've created with my own hands. Ultimately, then, what am I creating? Or what am I worshiping? I'm worshiping myself. And that's why it's called idolatry. Idolatry. Isn't it better 
to worship the one who created everything that is. That's the God that we worship. Now, you might be saying, now, wait a minute, you're talking about God, and then you're interchanging it with Jesus, and sometimes you throw in the Holy Spirit. Well, what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The Word is another name for Jesus. It's identified in John chapter 1, speaking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about God, we mention God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. It's three persons in one Godhead. You say, I don't understand that. Good. Because if you could understand it, then you would be God. The Bible says His thoughts are above our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher than God's thoughts are, that God's thoughts are than our thoughts. And I want you to think about how high that is. When that was written, that was written about 700 years before Christ, that God's thoughts are higher than man's thoughts. What about, you know, it's been said that when you stand on the earth and you look up into the sky, that you can see with the naked eye about 2,000 stars. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, how many of you know there are more than 2,000 stars? How do you know that? Because somebody invented a telescope. And once they found the telescope, now you could see a whole lot more stars. But the Bible still said as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher God's thoughts are than our thoughts. Think about that. Then they invent the, the Hubble telescope. Now, the Hubble telescope can see so far into outer space. They've even found new solar systems now. They found planets they didn't know about. And do you know what the Bible still says? As high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how much higher God's thoughts are than man's thoughts. The more man learns, the greater his ability to explore, the farther the reaches he is able to access through the, the, the growth of his intelligence, of his mind, of his research, the farther that, my, that, that man's mind is able to take him, God's thoughts are still higher. That's the God we worship. That's the Lord that we worship. So not only is, did Jesus say that if we're going to worship God, we need to understand that there's only one God that can be worshipped. And that God is the Creator not only is He the Creator, but He can do anything. Again, if I'm going to worship this pulpit, this pulpit can't do very much. Have a conversation with the pulpit. Now, I know some of you wives feel like that when you're having a conversation with your husband over dinner. How was your day? Mm. Do you like dinner? Mm. That's not what we're talking about. Here, this pulpit cannot interact with us. God can do literally anything. Listen to what Job said. Job 42.1, Job, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. You know what's cool about Job? It's the oldest book in the Bible. The, the, the first verse in the Bible talks about God being the Creator. In the oldest book of the Bible, we learn that God can do anything. What's the foundation for our, for our understanding of God? He's one. He's the creator. He can do anything that he chooses to do. Listen to what Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth 
by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. That's power. That's power. Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is possible. Or, uh, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, does that verse have anything to do with Ohio? That's our state motto. With God, all things are possible. Isn't that right? Isn't that what they've been fighting over in the courthouse? Where they just won? That they're allowed to keep that? With God, all things are possible. God is the creator and He can do anything. There's only one thing that God can't do. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6, verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, that's the unchangeableness of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. You know what? I am so thankful that my salvation, that my future is not based on the truthfulness of Washington, D.C. How many of you are surprised when you find out a politician lied to you? How many of you are more surprised when you find out he told the truth? Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. It, it was the old joke, how do you know when a politician is lying? When his lips are moving, right? Our hope is not in Washington. Now we're getting ready to have an election. I hope that things turn out well for conservatives in the election, right? That doesn't have anything to do with my salvation. My hope is not in Washington. The cross can do an awful lot that politics can't. Isn't that right? The beauty about God is when God makes a promise to you, He cannot lie. What have we learned about God? He's one. He's the creator. He can do anything except lie, which means that He can keep His promises. When God promises you eternal life, do you know what that means? Eternal life. When God promises you eternal damnation, do you know what that means? Eternal damnation. When God promises you everlasting consolation, everlasting comfort, what does that mean? It means everlasting comfort, everlasting consolation. When He promises everlasting torment, what is He promising? Everlasting torment. You see, heaven and hell are corresponding opposites. As wonderful as heaven is, it is that wonderful because God is there. We're, we are there with the Lord Jesus Christ that we have worshipped. The reason that hell is so terrible is it's the direct opposite of that. God's not there. And what is hell? Hell is God giving people what they wanted. They want existence without Him? What does God say? Okay. Let me demonstrate to you what existence is like without me. And the only problem is once they're there, there's no getting out. Why? That's what eternal means. It means forever. God keeps His promises. He keeps His promises of blessing and He keeps His promises of punishment. Which side would you rather be on? Seriously. Blessing. Blessing. It's that simple. It doesn't matter. The issue is not what church you go to. 
The issue is not who your mom is, or who your grandfather was, or who your aunts and uncles are, or who your children are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what country you come from. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how ignorant you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are or uneducated you are. It doesn't matter your ability or your talent. It doesn't matter your wealth or your poverty. None of that is the issue. The issue is, do you want to have the blessing of God or do you want to have the punishment of God? Jesus said there's two kinds of people in the world. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's it. That's it. The issue is, who is the one true God? He's the Creator. He's able to do everything. There's nothing He can do except lie. You say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that an oxymoron? No, 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 no. He can't do anything that violates His nature. And His nature is righteousness and holiness. There is no darkness in Him. There's no sin in him, and of course, lying would be a sin. Who is he? Who is he? He is not only all-powerful, but I want you to think about something. He's the king, and his rule is absolute. His rule is absolute. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. Now that quickeneth means to make alive. He makes alive. Who quickeneth all things before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Remember, he stood before Pilate. Had to answer, is he the Son of God? That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to appear. Does that, that's what the Apostle Paul is writing. Is that clear? All right. Then look at what the Bible says. Which in, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto who no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. All right, so what do we learn about God? What do we learn about our king? Is there any other king? No. No, he's only one. Is there any other Lord? No, he's only one. Is there any, only, is there any other potentate? No. No. The Bible says there's only one. Is there any other ruler? No. Just one. But here's what we say. I can do whatever I want to do. I am in charge of my life. Well, sure you can. Sure you can. You can go and kill somebody if you want to. Did you know that you're free to kill somebody? Go ahead. What's going to happen? You're going to go to jail. And you're probably going to be put to death. And then you're going to stand before a righteous and holy God who has promised to condemn sin. But you're sure free to do it. Go ahead. 
can't believe I went to a church and the preacher said, go out and kill somebody. What, are we Muslim or something? I don't know. Was that too far? Was that, was that a little too far? <laughs> Look. Now, how many think that I, th- that I want you to go do that? No, but, but in reality, we are free. We can do whatever we want to do. You can jump off this building if you want to. You can set yourself on fire. I don't recommend that. But, but we are free to do whatever we want. We are free moral agents. We say, I am my own man. I can do whatever I want to do. <laughs> well, whatever. You know, uh, who was it? Uh, Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. Then Elvis jazzed it up a little and did it his way. And they're both dead. And now we're finding out how well their way did. Now, we don't know. I don't know whether Frank Sinatra ever received Christ as a Savior. I don't know whether Elvis Presley ever received Christ as a Savior. I don't know. But I promise you, there's only one way to God. And it's not my way. It's Jesus' way. Because in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Look, I'm free. And being an American, I'm more free than most people in the world. Is that cool? Man, I'm so thankful that I'm free. Praise God. I can go out of here and I can build my house. I can tear it down. I can, I can worship who I want to worship. I cannot worship anybody. I can worship a purple Easter bunny. I can worship anybody that I want to. In the United States, I am completely free to do that. I can have Harvey the rabbit sitting next to me. It doesn't matter. I can believe anything that I want to believe. The issue is, is it true? And does it align with what the one true God told me that I need to do? See, here's the question that we have to ask. Do I trust me or do I trust Jesus? Do I trust what I think or do I trust the Scriptures? Uh, imagine if Patrick here... Come here, Patrick. Come help me. I'm bringing Patrick up because I'm so much better looking than him. It just I look better standing sure. next to him. Shorter? Thank you. Okay. So now, imagine if Patrick... Patrick's a pastor. In real life, he is a trained minister. Imagine if he's my pastor. Okay? But he's teaching something that does not agree with the Word of God. Who am I supposed to believe? Patrick or the Bible? The Bible. But you don't understand. Patrick's been a great friend to me. He baptized my children. He, he, he's, he's visited me in the hospital. He's been to all of my ball games. He, you don't understand. He loves me and my family. I've got great respect for him. But he's teaching something that's different than what this says. Who am I supposed to believe? The Bible. Thanks, Patrick. That's the issue. Who are you trusting? Who do you believe? What we we need to engage is not what someone says about God, but we need to engage the one true God as He is revealed in the Scriptures. 
That's who we worship. He's able to keep His promises. His rule is absolute. Matthew chapter 5 says this, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Anybody good at that right there? Yeah, I'm not. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. I, I think it's so interesting. The, the evolutionists that we were talking about, the Bible says, yeah, there's a son, but it's, it's God's son. The Bible says this in another place. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's His. He's in complete control. He's in complete control. So what do we know about God? We know that He's a creator, and we know that He can do anything, and we know that uh, He keeps His promises... And we know that he's the only king and he, his rule is absolute. The Bible is very clear on all of that. But lastly, man and man's destiny are in God's hands. Man and man's destiny are in God's hands. All of us. All of us. The Bible says in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 17. This is such an amazing passage of Scripture. You know, we live in an educated time. And imagine if we went to Harvard or Princeton or Oxford or Cambridge or one of the great institutions of education. What's going on in Acts chapter 17 is, uh, if you look at verse 16... The Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw a city wholly given to idolatry. So Athens was the height of culture, the height of art, the height of drama, the height of athletic pursuits. All of that, the worship of everything that man does, was at its zenith in Athens. All right? And so here's what Paul does. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, I want to stop right there. It's hard to believe that in America... And in, in, in the Western world, and in the Western world, first world is the Western world. Second world are those nations that are coming out of communism. Third world are those that were under the, the pressure of, of communism. That's where those, those principles came from, um, or those, those titles came from. But it's so strange to me that in the Western world, in the first world, that when you preach Christ and His resurrection, they look at you like you're some kind of babbler. Whoever would have imagined that? That uh, as, a young, as a young man, I'm only 51, but as a young man, I, I, I could never imagine a culture where Christ and His resurrection would be a strange idea. And you all understand that we're heading that direction. Is that clear? We're heading that direction. And that's what they were saying about Paul here. So look at let's let's read on. Verse nineteen. 
And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. You have all these gods that you're worshiping. You have all these idols that you bow down before. You have this one that you have here that you don't know who he is. Let me tell you who the one you don't know is. And who did he introduce him to? The one true God that Jesus said, the first thing you need to know is who he is. And listen to what Paul says about him. For it says, for God, verse 24, God that made the world, where does he start? He's the creator. Who is this God? He's the creator. There's lots of gods in the world, but he's the only one that's the creator. That cow that you're afraid to eat, he didn't make the world. Right? God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So notice this church, it's not a temple. This building, it's not, God doesn't dwell in a building. We already know. Where does God dwell? In the hearts of his believers. That's where he dwells. Dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. Now, wouldn't that verse take care of racism right there? We're one blood. Who knows how many races we have represented in this room? It doesn't matter. We're one blood. Amen? We're one blood. God created all men. One, one race is not inferior to another race. One race is not superior to another race. We're just, we're just people. God loves everybody the same. And he gave his son for everyone the same. Hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And now look at what the Bible says. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So here's the idea. God had you, not Ellie, Rissa. It was going to come. The floppy was spinning. It was going to come. All right. God created Rissa and had you born at a specific time and at a specific place for a special reason so that you could find him. That's cool. Now, we all know we live in the most interesting time probably in the history of the world. We have greater access to knowledge than at any time in the history of the world. How many of you, you young people, how many of you have phones? You have, a, you have a phone. You have in your hands more information than I had access to when I was in college. Because computers were like big rooms when I was in college. My first computer had 40 megabytes, I think. I mean, you guys send texts that are bigger than that now. It, 
It's so interesting. We have greater access to information than any time in history. We have better access to medical care. Well, okay, different subject. <laughs> we, we have greater access to so many different things. We have the ability to travel, get on a plane and go anywhere you want to go. Get in your car and go anywhere you want to go. And those new 90-mile-an-hour speed limits are awesome, aren't they? I just Okay. Um, but we really do, guys. We, we have such an exciting time to live. Do you know why God lets you live in this time? Let's read the next verse, and it'll tell you. The Bible says, And it is made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. Why did God create you and put you in the world right now? Because He wants to know you. Now notice what people do. People seek for a God, and they feel for a God. Why do people build idols? Because they want a God they can feel. They want a God they can touch. They look. What they don't understand is God made everything. The thing that you're making a God, God made that. The, when, when Jesus Christ was taken to the hill of Calvary and He was nailed to that cross, Jesus Christ had created the hill. He had created the tree that they nailed Him to. He created whatever element was used to make the nail. He had created those elements. And all of those things, He was upholding them with the word of His power while He was being nailed to it. And people are always looking for something to worship with their hands. And the Bible says, God put you in the world at a specific time and a specific place, knowing that you would feel and look for something, but He was going to give you the truth. And look at what the truth is. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Verse 30 says this, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He raised Him from the dead. Now listen to what happened. When Paul preached that to these guys in Athens, listen to what they did. And this is what happens every time the gospel is preached. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. You see, the Bible tells us what the gospel is. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That He died for our sins, and that He was buried according to the Scriptures, and that He rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't Christ died for your sins and now you've got to make sure that you go to church every week, that you make sure that you give a certain amount of money, that you make sure you wear a certain amount of clothes, that you make sure that you... Well, amount is a good thing, but type of clothes. <laughs> that <laughs> Now, when people start adding things to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. You say, no, I don't understand that. Okay, take your favorite cake recipe all right, and start adding stuff to it. I'm going to put a little motor oil. I'm going to... What, what if you put something good in your cake recipe? I'm going to put raisins in it. You've just ruined a cake. <laughs> what if you put anchovies in your cake? Good stuff. Oh, that's lovely. 
You understand, the gospel has certain ingredients. And if you add something to it, it's no longer the gospel. We went to uh, Quaker Steak for wings a few years ago. And Josh Divens back there, big tough police guy, he decided to eat the hottest, or the atomic or something they called it. And I looked at him, and he's weeping. <laughs> like a little girl. It was unbelievable. He's just weeping. You know what he said? That's not food. <laughs> I would agree with that. That's not, they added something to something that was good and made it something that was no longer good. Don't you guys look at your wives that way. I can see what you guys are doing right now. You're going to be in trouble. The recipe for salvation is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You receive eternal life by faith. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, for, whoever shall call up, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, for with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What do you confess? You confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you're not. I'm in charge of my life. Well, you're in charge of your life whether or not you want to receive Christ. God has given you authority in your life to accept Him or reject Him. You say, I know the recipe. The recipe is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you going to accept that? Or are you going to say, I must add something to it? I don't believe that it's that simple. I believe that I have to live a good life to go along with it. That's what I believe. We're going to finish with this last passage of Scripture. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Job chapter 40. We looked at this passage at man camp. <clears throat> Look at what God said to Job. This is God addressing people that think that they can participate in their own salvation. Look at the book of Job. Chapter 40, verse 6. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said... So now imagine this. Imagine a tornado being in front of you and God speaking out of it. Gird up thy loins like a man. So remember, he's in a robe. And he's telling him, what I want you to do is I want you to take that robe and tie it up in, in the girdle, the belt. And men would do that when they were getting ready to work or fight. So what is God doing? He's challenging Job. You think you're a man? You think you're tough? Do you think you have righteousness? Look what God says to him. He says, Gird up thy loins now like a man, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that sayest thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold every one that is proud, and abase him. Look on every one that is proud, and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Okay, here's what he's telling Job. All right, you find every proud person in the world, 
and bring them down to humility. You find every wicked person in the world, you know what their wickedness is, and you bring it to judgment. This is what God's telling Job to do. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. Listen to what God says. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. Look, if you're here today and you believe in the resurrection, you're like the scribe who when Jesus Christ said, there's one true God, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're like that person, you say, yeah, I believe all that. Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But the Lord's not living in you yet. You say, I do believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. I believe that. I do believe that I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. But I also believe that I've got to be good enough to earn it. Here's what God says you have to do to earn it. When you can bring down every proudful person in the world, when you can destroy every wicked person in the world, when you can in your own might bring yourself the glory of the heavens, when you can do that, then God says, then I'll confess that your right arm can save you. Until you can do that, do you know what you need to do? You need to say, Lord Jesus, I can't do anything. Save me. I'm the person drowning in the middle of the ocean, and all I can do is reach out for that life preserver. That's all I can do. Do you know what salvation is? It's God throwing that life preserver out to you. Do you know what receiving salvation is? It's you grabbing hold of it and saying, thank you. That's what it is. That's what it is. It doesn't matter what any religion says. It doesn't matter what any preacher says. It doesn't matter. What matters is what God said. You know the good news? Man, I know that I am not good enough to go to heaven. I'm a preacher of the Word of God. I try to live a holy life. I try to spend time in God's Word. I try to honor my wife. I try to, to lead my children. I try to honor my mom and dad. Mom's in heaven now. I try to honor my dad. But you know what I know more than anything else? I'm a sinner. Like the Apostle Paul. Paul said, when I try to do good, I know that there's evil in me. I see it. So Paul said, I see it. The longer I live, the more I see it in me. I'm so glad I don't have to save myself because I can't do it. Are you saved today? Do you know, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you died on the cross right now, do you know 100% that you would go to heaven? If you don't, you can get that settled today. How? By receiving that free gift of eternal life. By going to the Lord Jesus, saying, Lord Jesus, I can't save myself. I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. But I believe that you're the Son of God. That you paid for my sin on the cross and then you rose from the dead the third day. Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.